1: Tuesday
2: edition of PFTPM on Peacock. Shereen Williams with me now. MBS coming up later as we do the Week Three awards. Also the Week Three rewatch as selected by Shereen Williams. Shockingly not picking Cowboys Seahawks, Shocking. instead going with Bills Rams. I'm stunned. You should have a Josh Allen jersey hanging behind you, not Roger Staubach.
3: and then i realized that i've picked two rams games i'm like two rams games in the first three weeks but it's okay they've they've played well and, and they've been fun to watch
2: and an exciting game and something sims and i talked about earlier today the best news out of the first three weeks is the fact that 48 out of 48 games were played and that the pandemic wasn't an issue maybe that counts as a jinx because not long after we wrapped pft live earlier this morning the news came out that the Titans and Vikings had closed their facilities until further notice because of an outbreak within the Titans organization. Three players, five members of the non-playing staff testing positive, contact tracing, further testing. The Titans shut down until Saturday, for crying out loud. At least until Saturday, good luck practicing and preparing for a football game when you can't get into the building to have football practice. But, Shireen, this was a stunner on one hand because I think we got to the point where we thought, hey, three weeks, we're fine. This is good. They've mastered this. They've cracked the code. They've reached a level of no infiltration. And then the first moment we exhale a little bit, here it is.
3: Yeah, and Roger Goodell's statement today, he said this is not a surprise. And I, I think probably the bigger surprise is that it lasted this long, that they made it this long playing all these games without any kind of interruption and we don't know if this is going to be an interruption yet or not there's a lot of things they can do here and maybe maybe not the titans and steelers get to play but i think the biggest concern probably mike is it's three different position groups it's a defensive tackle long snapper and a tight end so now you've got three different rooms to worry about as opposed to just hey it's all in the quarterback's room or the running back's room or whatever you've got various rooms here you've got to worry about with those players so I do think this is a concern and a concern whether the Steelers will be traveling to the Titans to play this week
2: and they've got the point of care testing where they can quickly determine about sending the test sample off to a laboratory whether or not it's positive they still will send samples off to a laboratory by tomorrow we should have a pretty good idea of where things stand because Presumably, they hustled to get testing done today after getting a bunch of positives back, presumably today from yesterday. They have daily testing, but the thing is, the players still have days off. I assume they don't come in to get tested on the days that they are off. So that Monday-Tuesday window can be a little incomplete as to when guys are being tested. But the reality is, it's possible that there were players who were shedding virus, as the technical term goes, when the Titans were playing the Vikings on Sunday. So far, the Vikings, no positives, which is good. And we just wait now. Everything is on hold while time passes and assurances are obtained that there isn't a full blown outbreak. But as you mentioned, with a guy who is positive with three different position groups, you have to be concerned about that. And if a defensive tackle's positive, you got to worry about the offensive lineman from the Vikings that he was pressing up against from time to time during that three-hour window on Sunday.
3: And, you know, Mike, the thing that instantly came to my mind was when we talked about Roger Goodell saying, hey, there's no competitive advantage for teams that have fans in the stands, and some do, some don't. There's no competitive advantage. And now we may get a situation where the Steelers are going to be allowed to practice all week long, same with the Texans, and then they go out and play the game, and the Titans have, what, maybe one day of practice, and they can't practice off-site. It's not like they can go somewhere else and, and Ryan Tannehill can throw to his receivers. That's not allowed either. They're not allowed to do that. So they're just doing virtual meetings all this week, and I just, playing the Steelers, and as complicated as their defense is, this is a huge competitive game disadvantage for the Titans if they have to go into that game with a Saturday practice and play on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think what Roger Goodell should have said when the question came up about the potential competitive advantage of having fans present and not having fans present, this is nothing compared to the competitive advantages and disadvantages that may be visited upon teams if we get ourselves into an outbreak. George Atala, the NFLPA spokesman, was on earlier with Brother From Another. Here's some of what Atala had to say about the level of anxiety that this news is creating.
0: So are that's you right. confident, George, that, that, you know, again, none of, this virus is unpredictable, but just based on what you know as you sit here now, um, do you feel pretty good that this can be contained or, or is this perhaps something bigger in the beginning of it? What should gut tell you right now? I hope that's not an I'm unfair nervous. question, but just- I'm, I'm nervous. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm nervous. I, I really am. I'm nervous like the, like the rest of us. I mean, look, the reality is you can trust the virus. You can't trust humans. And you, you, we know now what the, how the virus spreads. We know more about infection. We know about asymptomatic spread. Um, we know that these things actually protect us uh, from, from the spread. And, and you're seeing even community spread. Like, let's take the NFL out of it. New York City is starting to have community spread over 3% again. And I think that's a result of people having fatigue. But This is going to be a grind for um, everybody until we have some sort of better solution or a vaccine.
2: Again, that's George Atala, NFLPA spokesman. I love George. It's a serious situation, but I cannot let that clip go without saying Matt Patricia would have told George to sit up straight in that chair when he's talking. (laughs) Other than that, I have no problem with what he said. Uh, Look, here's the reality. There is fatigue. There is Complacency. And one of the things the NFL was concerned about is complacency setting in when teams begin to fade from contention, Shireen, later in the year. And as the numbers begin to spike, as the flu season begins, people are indoors more. Assuming the NFL can get through this, and that's a big assumption at this point, if nothing else, this is a reminder, a very valuable reminder that the virus does set the agenda. As George said, you can trust the virus. You can't trust people. And maybe a scare like this will help avert a bigger problem later in the year that could unfold as we get teams who they don't have a chance, their players don't care. The one thing the players need to realize even if their teams are mathematically eliminated or, as a practical matter, have a fork stuck in them and are done, if games are missed, you don't get paid. So your livelihood your financial security hinges on being able to play the games that to you otherwise don't mean anything. And also you want to play the games, you create film, you may end up with a different team next year, you want to compare favorably to the other people, and it's still competition. But to the extent that there is that concern that guys could get a little bit lax later in the year, especially from teams that aren't successful, this is that warning shot. Do not let up. Do not Relent, And I hope at the end of the day, Shereen, they find out exactly what happened. How did that virus get into the building and what can they do to prevent it in the future?
3: Yeah, you know, Shane Bowen, the defensive play caller and outside linebackers coach for the Titans, the first word came out yesterday that he didn't make the trip with the team. To the Vikings that he had COVID, he went on the COVID or went on the COVID list. We assume now that he had COVID, so did he spread it to the rest of the team? How, you know how did this go? And you just don't know, and they may never know. But that's was our first word that something was amiss with this team, and and now here we are uh, with the players who've tested positive and things have shut down. But here's another thing, Mike. I think this serves as a warning, perhaps to. The fan situation in the NFL, the Titans were supposed to have 7,000 fans this week at their game, then 8,500 on October 11th and then 10,000 on October 18th. Are we still going to do that? We don't know the answer to that quite yet, but I I do think this serves as a warning that yes, we all have the fatigue and I'm not wiping down everything like I used to and doing all those things. And I shook the doctor's hand today and did some of those things that we wouldn't have done maybe a month, two months ago. But we've all got to be careful. And in the NFL, they especially need to be careful. So as you said, they keep playing and keep getting paid and all of that stuff. We want to see games.
2: A compelling data point in this will be whether or not any of the Vikings players end up with it, assuming that there was a situation where Titans players were positive with the virus on Sunday, because one of the things the NFL has believed throughout this process, the open air setting, even if you're in a dome with the high roof, with the ventilation, it's enough to prevent or minimize spread because you don't have the droplets that are just hanging around like they are in an indoor setting where there's poor ventilation so if no vikings end up with this that's actually a good thing and it will show that the spread was confined to airplanes hotels you know whatever about uh, buses whatever spaces that the titans players may have been in so what happens this weekend with the steelers going to tennessee the vikings going to Houston, everything is on hold right now. There's a report that the NFL intends to go forward on Sunday with Steelers-Titans as scheduled, which, Shireen, as you mentioned, creates a competitive disadvantage for the Titans because they don't get to practice, and the Steelers do. Another possibility is to move the game to Monday, which could maybe give the Titans a chance to practice on Saturday. There isn't much you can do, though, on Saturday. Now, the Packers tend to push their week up to the point where they have a walkthrough the day before the game. So if you're the Titans, you could have a semi-real practice on, on Saturday, I guess, a walkthrough on Sunday and play Monday night. But that's going to be a challenge for the Titans because it's going to be very dissimilar to what the Steelers are doing. The other possibility, and the first thing I did, I started looking at schedules. When is the Titans bye? When is the Steelers bye? Well, the Titans bye is week seven. The Steelers bye is week eight. So you can't just bump it to the mutual bye week. But the Steelers and the Ravens play week seven the Steelers and the Ravens have a week eight bye, it would be easy to reconfigure things so that the Steelers and Titans have their bye week four. The Steelers and Titans play week seven. The Steelers and Ravens play week eight. So the Ravens move their bye up a week. The only problem is for the Steelers, and again, crap happens. You're going to have competitive disadvantages. You're going to have inconveniences. The Steelers may very well end up not having a bye week other than missing a game because you spend all week practicing for a game that doesn't happen and then you spend your bye week practicing for a game that does happen when you otherwise would have been off so look that happened a couple of years ago when it was I think Buccaneers Dolphins remember there was a hurricane game that had the plug pulled on it and the teams played consistently 16 weeks after that they never had a bye week either that happens and that may be what happens here
3: yeah, a lot of things could, could happen with this for sure. Mike, here's a question, though. If you're the commissioner, would you consider shutting down the Steelers facility and just saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and play the game? Both facilities reopen on Saturday. This is the way it is. Competitive, uh, No competitive advantage for anyone. You're just going to have to do virtual meetings, come back Saturday, practice, and play the game Sunday. Could you see that happening?
2: That's a great idea, and yes, I would. I think that's the best way to create an apples-to-apples situation. Hey, look... The Titans are strapped by this reality, and the Steelers have to be subjected to an equal situation. But here's my response to it The Steelers haven't allowed an outbreak to happen in their facility. The Titans have. This is part of the price you pay for not, you know, because this is the ultimate pass fail. Either you do keep the virus out or you don't. And if however it happened, and we may never know, however it happened, wherever it happened, whenever it happened, the Titans get an F. And the Steelers get a P, so the Steelers get to practice, and the Titans don't. And that's the price you pay for not ensuring that you keep the virus out of your facility. I mean, that's why I'm a firm believer teams shouldn't get a dispensation. If they don't have enough guys ready to go, if they are wiped out at a position group, well, you should you should have, number one, kept the virus out. Number two, plan your roster accordingly to account for the possibility that you're going to not have all of your players. They don't do that for injuries. They shouldn't do that for this. That'll be another interesting situation. If they decide that there is a group of Titans players who will be on the COVID-19 reserve list, the rest of them are good to go will they say to the Titans, you still don't have to play this week because we want you to be able to play when you have all of your guys? I don't think that should be the case because at some point there's responsibility on the Titans for allowing this virus into their building.
3: I would not want to be in charge of anything right now because these are hard decisions to make and whatever decision you make, it's going to be criticized by somebody and nobody, not everybody is going to be happy with whatever decision you you do make. So the commissioner's in this position. He's paid gazillions as we know to make these decisions and he's got a hard decision to make but he's going to have to make this and maybe he does go with what you said you know titans allowed it to enter their facility whether fault of their own or not it got there the steelers have not maybe it is a competitive advantage for the steelers this week i would love to see this game i was looking forward to this game uh, with both teams getting to practice all week, but I do think if the Steelers get to practice and the Titans don't, I, I can't see the Titans winning this game even if they are have home field advantage.
2: This was going to be a dose of cold water for the Titans anyway. The three teams they barely beat are one and eight, a combined six and zero. Oh pair of opponents were coming in with the Steelers and the Bills so yeah I I don't think it was going to go well for the Titans anyway potentially now it becomes even harder and it'll be interesting to see what that does to the betting lines is it off the board when's it on the board will they take action on it we've never had a situation like this where one team can't prepare and the other team can as a practical matter and Shereen you mentioned the possibility of the Tom Brady type of gathering at a local high school they're not going to let the guys do it now Does that stop them from doing it on their own? If they do it discreetly enough, I guess it doesn't. If they do it outside of the probing eyes of Big Brother, and Big Brother, as we know, is all of us, carrying around the cell phone devices that can spot whatever it is that may be happening. But ideally, they'd be prevented from doing that. The idea at this point, contain the spread, contact trace, testing, and ensure that whoever has it is isolated, the people who don't have it stay away, and we get to a point where they can play football this weekend and just get the games in. And again, there will be competitive disadvantages far greater than not having fans at the games as the season unfolds if outbreaks happen. All right, the Dallas Cowboys make news even when they don't have an outbreak or a contract problem or really anything else. They had a An exciting game on Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. that They could have won. And Dak Prescott threw an interception at the end of the game. Now, the reason he was even in a position to throw the interception is because he ran away from pressure, avoided falling down. If he would have fallen down, the clock likely would have run out by the time the receivers got back from the end zone and they snapped the ball for what would have been like 4th and 28. But uh, that issue of quarterback mobility came up during one of Jerry Jones' two radio appearances per week on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and his comments created a little bit of a stir on the question of whether or not Jerry Jones was comparing Dak in an unfavorable way to other mobile quarterbacks. Let's listen to Jerry Jones from
4: earlier today. And obviously with uh, their quarterback, who's uh, uh, I think uh, uh, at the highest uh, uh, level right now, Uh, because of his, frankly, as uh, much as just his natural ability to make plays, his mobility. And uh, this guy's very uh, quick and elusive and can get in and out of situations with his feet and by time. The quarterback we played uh, Sunday is of that kind of nature. has great ability to get in and out and then... Make the play that play Dak made at the end of the game that got intercepted. Well, uh, uh, the results of Dak's ability that let him get that ball off was uh, uh, really great and outstanding. Well, these guys have that ability a lot. They are very quick-footed, and they're very. They have the unique ability to uh, possibly take their eyes. Uh, away from the field for a minute and then immediately focus back and see. Romo had that. And so uh, they could turn his back on it and turn around and hand-eye and get it done quick. And so those are things that show up, and that's what's showing up with these guys. They're buying time with their feet. or buying time with their instincts and their feet.
2: You know, when I saw the comments written, I thought there was no criticism of Dak Prescott. When I heard it, I feel a little bit differently now. There is a little bit of a backhand at Dak because he bought time with his feet, but he threw the ball into like five guys. It was the throw he shouldn't have made. In hindsight, in hindsight what he should have done and maybe what Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson, two of the quarterbacks that Jerry Jones was talking about, would have done, get out of bounds right? He had the opportunity to gain six, seven, eight yards, make it a shorter throw to the end zone. You got one play after that. There would have been time left on the clock instead of reacting to that. Oh, crap moment. I almost fell down and the clock would have run out by just unloading the ball into the end zone when he shouldn't have. Maybe there's an argument to be made a little sliver of an argument that what he's saying is, yes, Dak has the mobility, but what he doesn't have and that Wilson Mahomes and Romo do have is the opportunity to make a good decision after they use their mobility to extend the play.
3: Mike, I've gotten three phone calls today from my former co-worker and our good friend Clarence Hill who kind of started this whole story and knows Jerry as well as anyone knows him. And he reads it as Jerry's criticism of him. And we should say that the question was, do you feel like there's a big gap between you and the Kansas City Chiefs after watching the Chiefs last night? There was no mention... Of Patrick Mahomes. There was no mention of Russell Wilson. Jerry Jones brought those up on his own. The problem with this is we all have to interpret Jerry. We call him Jerryisms, and you have to interpret what he says. Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong, but the problem is that the reporters are not getting Jerry after games. They're not getting him in the week after practice. In a normal season, there would be a follow-up. You would get to at least, at minimum, ask Jerry after next week's game, if not this week, during the week, what he meant by that comment. Was it criticism of Dak Prescott? And he likely is going to say, no, it was not. It was not intended that way. But at least you would have the opportunity to get to him and ask him that question. And no telling what he says, as we know Jerry could say anything Once you get him. So that's been a big problem, I think, with this is no one's gonna follow up on this and say, What did you really mean by this? Was it meant as a criticism of Dak Prescott? And we don't know. I mean, we're just trying to interpret what Jerry said, and there may be a little bit in there, there may not be. Maybe it's a contract thing. We know that he's playing under the franchise tag and they're gonna have to get back to the negotiating table after the season.
2: Again, reading the words that were posted in an item at 105.3 The Fan, the same words we just heard. It gave me a different feeling. Hearing it, a different vibe. And here's the reality. He's on 105.3 The Fan twice per week, but he's on different shows between Tuesday and Friday. The Friday hosts may feel no compulsion to come back to that point. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. And by the time the Tuesday hosts have him again... There will have been another game played. There'll be other things to talk about. you got a lot of business you want to take care of with Jerry Jones. And because he gives you really long answers, you go into the interview loaded up with questions, and maybe you get to ask five of them. So as a practical matter, this may fall through the cracks. And look, also, would it be a surprise if because of the blowback, somebody from the Cowboys says to their flagship station, don't revisit that issue with Dak and mobility and Mahomes and Wilson. Let's just let that one die. No, that wouldn't. They would never do either. that. I detect a small amount of sarcasm, sarcasm or sarcasm <laughs> coming from Shireen on that. Uh, anyway, I, I, you know what? Here's what I have to do. I'm sitting here thinking, crap, I spent a half hour writing a story about this saying he wasn't criticizing Dak. Now i got to go back and write a story tonight, add this video. Hello to anyone who's reading the story and clicked on the video. If you made it this far, thank you. And explain, you know what? Maybe he was. And maybe there is a broader play going on here as it relates to the fact that if they apply the franchise tag to him next year it's 37.68 million dollars and maybe they won't I had someone tell me that back in June don't assume they're going to apply the franchise tag next year I said baloney they applied the highest possible level this year why would they not apply it next year they're just going to let him walk away as a free agent who are they going to replace him with I don't think that's going to happen so either way he's still going to be the quarterback and the reality is guys who can extend the play with their legs Shireen and have the presence of mind to make a great decision with the football after they've extended the play with their legs, there aren't many guys who can do that.
3: No, they're not. And there are not many Dak Prescotts. I mean... Jerry remembers what happened between Troy Aikman and Tony Romo, and it was not pretty, and and he finally found Tony Romo, and now they've made this seamless transition into Dak Prescott, so they're not going to let Dak Prescott get away. They're going to keep him, and, and they'll end up paying him, and they're going to end up paying him way more than they wanted to pay him and way more than they should have paid him if they had signed him when they should have signed him, which was a long, long, long time ago. But they'll, they'll keep Dak Prescott. He'll be their quarterback, and on the play – that Dak made, he was asked about it after the game, and he said an interception never entered his mind. Like, he was throwing that ball to try to get a completion, obviously a touchdown, but he thought the worst-case scenario was an incompletion. But as you saw in the video, I mean, it's there's Seahawks everywhere. They played it like a Hail Mary, as they should, and ended up getting the pick and ended the game.
2: Broncos would love to have Dak Prescott on Thursday night when they play the Jets. There's a lot of quarterbacks they would love to have. There are only a few that they actually have. Here's Vic Fangio, coach of the 0-3 Broncos, talking about his quarterback situation with a short week looming.
1: Yeah, we're going to start Mark. I mean, uh, Brett. I keep calling him Mark at times because of his uncle. But um, we're going to go with Brett, but we do have the ability to mix uh, Jeff in there some in the game if we feel like we need to. We've had a year and Second training camp in a couple weeks of with Brett here. And, um, you know, we just deserve, think he deserves a chance here to see how he can do here as a starter with a, albeit a short week of preparation and take a look at Brett that way. We
2: need to play that tomorrow morning to see what Phil Sims, I mean, Chris Sims, thinks of that. Verbal gaffe by Vic Fangio. But yeah, you got to get the guy's name right. Not quite as bad as Bruce Allen calling Kirk Cousins Kurt, but but close enough. You know the guy's name if you really believe in Brett Rippon, Jeff Driscoll the other option, Blake Bortles not ready to play yet. Good Lord. You know what, Shereen? I- I'm not going to do it. I'm not. We don't have enough time. We have to take a break. We have business to take care of today. But you get what you deserve. If this is your backup plan, if this is what you're going with, Right, What did Jack Nicholson say in A Few Good Men? You're pinning their hopes to a a, a phone bill. You've got Brett Rippin, Blake Bortles, and Jeff Driscoll. Good luck. That's what you get when you ignore somebody who's better than all three of those guys as a potential backup plan for your starter, Drew Locke.
3: And I talked about, Mike, the Cowboys' transition to Tony Romo from Troy Aikman, how long it took. This is the ninth starting quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning retired after the 2015 season. So they're just going through quarterbacks, and we know those names are not very good. They think they have a franchise guy in Drew Locke, but as you said, they didn't address the backup position knowing there might be COVID-19, knowing there might be an injury. Is a guy who was hurt to start his rookie season, so to think that he's not going to get hurt, I think is just unrealistic. Quarterbacks get hurt, and they get hurt all the time, and so uh, here they sit starting... Brett Rippon in this game. He went 8-for-8 eight eight in his debut and then threw a 50-50 ball on fourth down that was intercepted. So that's his experience. That's it. So I, the Broncos, good luck to you with Brett Rippon. This is not going to go yeah, well.
2: The exact quote from Jack Nicholson, these two Marines are on trial for their lives. Please tell me that their lawyer hasn't pinned their hopes to a phone bill. Well, Jeff Driscoll and Mark slash Brett Rippon is that phone bill for the Denver Broncos on Thursday night. But the good news is they're playing the New York Jets. So, hey, if you want to pump up the Anything's confidence possible. of Mark slash Brett Rippen or Jeff Driscoll, bring on the Jets. And I feel bad for Adam Gase. Look, they're supposed to be in the middle of a rebuild that's going to take several years. The problem is... You can't get humiliated every week and expect to have the time necessary to rebuild. There was a report yesterday, and I always hesitate to say report when it's a radio host who has no real accountability if he's wrong. If he's wrong, you move on to the next show. If he's right, he gets to do a victory lap. Colin Coward reported that Christopher Johnson, the CEO of the Jets, who's running the team in the absence of his brother, who's the U.S. ambassador to the U.K., has begun calling agents for high-profile coaches to line up a replacement for Adam Gase. The Jets deny that as they would I'm not saying that makes it wrong but just because those calls are happening if they're happening that doesn't mean that the Jets are going to fire Adam Gase if they lose Thursday night those are two different things lining up your candidates for next year because nobody hires an outside coach to be the interim coach you go with somebody on the staff you're not going to bring in an outsider four games into the season to take over that has never happened that I know of it would be Greg Williams most likely so it's entirely possible Shireen that they're considering their options for after the season but that that's independent of whether or not they'd pull the plug on Gase this week so I just I look I feel bad for Gase it's a bad roster but at some point you got to try to make chicken salad
3: yeah absolutely they've had three losses by a total of 57 points they're just not a good team 32nd and offense 17th to- in defense, this is not a good team, not a good roster. There aren't many players, I think, Mike, when you look at that roster that you you would want on your team. I mean, Becton's obviously won the first-round draft pick, but there just aren't many guys that, that you would go say, hey, I want this guy on my team. This is a huge rebuild, and it's going to be a long time. And you decide whether it's based on just this year or the last two years or whatever it is, is Gase your guy or not. But it's going to take more than a coach to turn this team around. A coach is only as good as his players, and these players aren't very good.
2: Good news for the Giants. They can take solace in the fact that they are not the worst team in New York. They are the kings of New York City as it relates to the National Football League. Unfortunately, they don't get to play the Jets this year all right let's take a break when we return it's time for the week three rewatch as selected by shereen williams not the cowboys but the la rams at the buffalo bills will point out some of the things that we saw when we took a closer look at that 35 32 thriller we'll do that when pftpm continues right after this
0: You know, when you look at the game, I, I, I have
2: a tremendous amount of respect for the Bills' defense. Uh, but in a lot of instances, it wasn't like we were struggling to move the football. Um, you know, we, we kind of ended up having some self-inflicted wounds. And I say that knowing that they created a lot of those things.
3: There was absolutely no panic uh, on the headset, from our players on the sideline, from our players on the field. Uh, just a lot of calm and um you know, whether it's Josh in this case or any other player or staff member, just you know, like we've like we've been there uh, a number of times before, and that's that's awesome.
2: All right, the two coaches from a fairly compelling week three game in Buffalo, Rams and the Bills. Sean McVeigh ultimately lost, although he could have won. Sean McDermott won, although he should have lost after his team squandered the most dangerous lead in football twenty-eight to three. That was the subject of this week's rewatch and Shereen and I both went back watched the game carefully and we've got some takes based upon what we saw let's begin with the best player on the field for either team Shereen who do you have
3: well, I'm going with Josh Allen just the way he handled losing that lead and then coming back I'm not sure what's more impressive the fact that they jumped out to such a big lead or the fact that he brought them back but both were equally impressive I mean, he just played really well. 311 yards, four touchdowns, an interception that really wasn't an interception. It's unfortunate. That was the turning point in the entire game, and it's unfortunate that was called an interception. Tyler Croft did push off, but Tyler Croft had that ball, a simultaneous possession. It should have gone to the offense, and then in which case you penalize the Bills for pushing off offensive pass interference, and they didn't do that. But just a great game. By Josh Allen. And I can't say I've watched very many Josh Allen games, but he he was so good in this game. Hit seven different receivers, lost John Brown at one point. It didn't matter. Uh, Ten touchdowns, one interception this season and in, in second highest passer rating. I just was really impressed with with how he handled everything in this game other than the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, which I think leads into your player of the game.
2: Well, yeah, the unsportsmanlike conduct foul happened after Josh Allen was dragged to the ground by Aaron Donald on a play that included a sack, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. That is the defensive lineman trifecta. The only way that gets better is if you pick it up and rumble, bumble, and stumble into the end zone for a touchdown. That's too much to expect. Sack, forced fumble, fumble recovery, and Aaron Donald was a force of nature. Uh, throughout the day, look, they they double him, they triple him. He complained last week that he doesn't like being double teamed. He thinks it should be it, it should be one on one because yeah, there's no one who can handle him one on one. And he he was around the quarterback all day. Josh Allen told me after the game that before it started, he said to Aaron Donald, "Take it easy on me today." During the game, he knew where Aaron Donald was. Wherever Aaron Donald went, you have to be aware of where the guy is and what that does. It makes it harder to play quarterback when you constantly are thinking, where is 99? Where is 99? And one of the things Allen said is, if we see them again, we need a better plan for 99. I don't know that you can have a better plan because at some point you're devoting so many resources to stopping him that you can't stop the other guys who are coming after Josh Allen. But I agree with you on Josh Allen. He, he has that escapability and the ability to keep his eyes down the field and make something happen when he gets away from the rush. Sims and I talked about this earlier today, though. With Mahomes, it's a little more fluid, and it's a little more certain that he's going to make the escape and make something good happen. When Allen starts into that, it doesn't look as effortless. It makes you a little more nervous. And you feel like there's a greater chance that something screwy is going to happen because I think at times he does venture a little bit beyond what his capabilities allow. But it's good. It's better to be dancing on that line than to be too conservative because we see him fire that ball down the field. He makes great throws. He makes great decisions. He doesn't need to have his feet planted. He's a lot like Mahomes and Russell Wilson in that way where they can make the funny body throws off of different arm angles and different platforms. That's what makes him so good. So those were the two players best on the field by far on Sunday in that game. Give me someone who was better or worse than you thought he was going to be prior to taking a second look at the the game footage.
3: I think it was Daryl Henderson, and I don't know if this is sacrilege to say, but I think the Rams are a better team right now with Daryl Henderson than they were trying to get the ball to Todd Gurley over the last two years with all his knee issues. His first career... 100-yard game, and he didn't have a whole lot of yards, career yards coming into this game. But, boy, he ran hard. He ran down the field. And we know this is a pretty good defense, too. And, you know, it just wasn't the 32nd-ranked defense that he was running all over. But I, I just thought he was really good. And he had 167 yards uh, coming into this game and, and total in his career and, and just played terrific. So he was is a much better back, I think, than I gave him credit for at first glance
2: and one of the narratives for the rams going into this year was the committee approach wants to be like the 49ers you don't want to have that star running back who sucks up all the oxygen all the attention all the cap space and then you've got all the eggs in that basket And when that basket breaks you don't have a running game so they wanted malcolm brown daryl henderson and cam Akers. the problem is Akers wasn't able to play he's got separated rib cartilage keep dr needle away from him after what happened last week with tyrod taylor and Sorry. And Malcolm Brown had surgery to repair a fractured pinky. So Daryl Henderson got the the, the the bulk of the workload. Ideally, he's not going to get those opportunities. The other thing is the Bills couldn't stop him. The Bills couldn't stop him. Drive to start the second half. The Bills are down 21 to 3. Not nearly as deep of a hole to climb out of as 28 to 3. They're running the ball effectively. They get to a second and four. They throw, they throw, they throw. Second down, third down, fourth down. Just keep running the damn ball. They can't stop you. And to their credit... When they were down 28-3 to because the Bills scored a touchdown after that failed drive, the idea was that uh, the Rams started running the ball and they came back and they, they uh, took the lead until Josh Allen took it back. All right, uh, for me, Cole Beasley, uh, I thought that, that he was better – on second look, because that guy's just always open. Whenever you need him, he's there. He converted the third and twenty-two play. He had other big catches. Targeted six, seven times. Caught six passes for a hundred yards. So, Cole, you know, all the talk about stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley is still getting it done for the Buffalo Bills. Who had a game they'd fourth like to forget? Sure. Fourth and was
3: twenty-two, Mike. Fourth and twenty-two. Sorry, fourth right? and twenty-two. Yeah, You're right for, for Cole Beasley. Okay. You're right.
2: A game they'd like game. to forget.
3: I'm going to go with Jalen Ramsey. If you remember a few years ago, he called Josh Allen trash, and I'm not sure he's going to be calling Josh Allen trash after this game. Josh Allen got him on some passes, and and I just didn't think that secondary played uh, very well, especially early and then again late. The third quarter, they kind of found themselves, but Jalen Ramsey ended up with one tackle and one pass defense, and it wasn't like they weren't going to his side because they did go to his side. They did go at him. Uh, and and he just didn't cover very well and if you're the highest paid cornerback in football you need to be better than that and I just didn't think he played a, a very good game and Josh Allen got him.
2: And actually, it was 3rd and 22, just so we're accurate. It was a 3rd and 22 play. It felt hopeless. It felt as hopeless as 4th and 22, but it was 3rd and 22. And it was also 3rd and 22 earlier in the quarter when uh, Josh Allen ended up fumbling the ball and getting the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because he thought he was illegally horse-collared. Horse-collar tackles are allowed in the pocket. That was a rule the NFL tried to change a few years ago. It didn't change. And even though, and this is probably the only time this is going to happen, Josh Allen is your player of the game. Josh Allen is my guy that would would like to have this one back because there were aspects of the game – that he was upset about and that's what he told me afterward. you know guys should be happy no he said I'm pissed off that we let the 28 to 3 lead get away he used language to a referee that he knows he shouldn't have he's expecting he got a fine this week for the unsportsmanlike conduct foul that happened after he was upset when the ball came out and he was pulled down by the back of his jersey and he thought that he was illegally horse collared, and then he, he had a face mask foul. He's getting two fine letters this week because we know they yes. they dispense fines as an automatic proposition for face mask penalties. So it's going to be an expensive week for Josh Allen. Even though they won, he's upset with the way they won. 28-3 to 3 should have held. The offense was as responsible as the defense for letting the Rams get back into the game. So even though they won, he's not happy with it. And he's also not thrilled with the way they won at the end of the game. He told me about that that controversial pass interference call. I'm not the kind of guy that likes to win that way, but I'm not going to complain about it. So, uh, even though it felt like a loss to him, the bills get a win. It was an exciting game. And, uh, um, you know, the bills keep rolling and they've got week eight coming up against the Patriots and week 16 coming up against the Patriots. They got a chiefs game coming up on a Thursday night. They're going to get tested again and again and again. And we'll see if Josh Allen and company can rise up to it. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the week three awards get handed out. Michael David Smith will join us. We'll go through our various categories. We'll do that to wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFTPM right after this.
0: The cameras caught you counting to four on your hands. I wonder if that had anything to do with uh, with your ranking on the NFL Top 100 this offseason. Uh, I think I, there was like four touchdowns in the game, I
1: think, at that
2: point. Sure it was. Sure it was. Look at that grin from Patrick Mahomes. Sure that's what he was referring to. I mean, last year against the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky, he counted to ten on his fingers. He didn't throw ten touchdown passes that game. The point was, I was the tenth overall pick. And Trubisky was the second overall pick. So he's got a way of sending a message, guys, that is uh, not – I mean, he can get away with it. It's not offensive, right? It doesn't spark outrage from talk show hosts all day long. He's got a charming way about him. There he is, one, two, three, four, the little Jordan shrug on the back end and he can do it he's got the natural charisma to get away with it all right uh so uh let's see if patrick mahomes name comes up as we do our awards we say hello first to mds who joins us for the awards segment mds how are you
1: i'm doing well mike thanks for having me as always
2: good to have you as always shereen and i have been working our way through the news and some rewatch of the bills rams game now we get to our awards and we're going to start as we always do with the offensive player of the week mds you're up first
1: Well, I'm going to pick a guy we've definitely never picked before, and that's Nick Mullins, the 49ers quarterback who has now filled in for Jimmy Garoppolo not just this year but also in 2018, really not missing a beat at all. He played very well for the Giants. He also played actually probably a little better than Garoppolo played in 2018 when the whole 49ers team was really struggling. Uh, You know, Nick Mullins came into the NFL as an undrafted rookie He's never had an opportunity to be a starter, except when Garoppolo is hurt. But I kind of hope he gets a chance one day. I think he's pretty talented. And, uh, you know, he went, went to Southern Miss and broke some of Brett Favre's records. And he played real well on Sunday. I like Nick Mullins, and I'm glad we can recognize him here because I don't think he gets enough recognition for what he does as a backup quarterback
2: not some of the records he broke all of the records now maybe he didn't break the interception record but he broke all of the good records of Brett Favre at (laughs) Southern Miss Brett Favre however was never a Super Bowl MVP Shireen's offensive player of the week can can say that he was a Super Bowl MVP Shireen tell us who you picked
3: I picked Nick Foles, the greatest backup, arguably, in NFL history. Earl Morrill, of course, was NFL MVP when he came in as a backup one year, led a team to a Super Bowl, was very good in the year the Dolphins' uh, undefeated season after Bob Greasy got hurt, 11 straight wins he had. So those are the two top backups, probably, in NFL history. But Nick Foles came in and did what Nick Foles does as a backup he won a game, 20 points in the fourth quarter was very, very good. Um, The question becomes, can he do it as a starter? He's only started 11 games in a season. That's the most he's ever had.
2: Yeah, and look, it's inevitable that he's going to get banged up at some point if he gets hit like he did on Sunday. We'll see how that plays out. They need to have Mitchell Trubisky ready to go just in case. I look, we're giving Patrick Mahomes more fodder to count on his fingers or give us one of the four fingers if he gets the chance to do so. For his performance last night, he's not mine either. None of us picked him. I'm going with Russell Wilson. How can you not go with Russell Wilson? 5 touchdown passes, 14 in 3 games, the most anyone has ever thrown through 3 games of an NFL season. The first player to ever have four or more in three consecutive games to start the season. He was incredible against the Cowboys. He did whatever needed to be done. He throws that beautiful deep ball. Sims and I broke that down today. And he would have had six potentially if DK Metcalf doesn't pull a Deshaun Jackson near the goal line in the first half. So Russell Wilson, uh, MVP, favorite, but a lot of football still to be played. All right, Defensive Player of the Week, MDS, who do you have?
1: I have the NFL's leader in sacks, and that is Alden Smith, a player who I, I think most of us thought his career was over for about three or four years, and now Alden Smith has come back, and he's not just come back. He's come back, and he's the same player he was at his best in San Francisco when he was one of the best players in the NFL. I mean, he is an outstanding pass rusher. We really saw it uh, on Sunday against Seattle. And I I just think it's it's great to see. It's a tribute to him that he's worked hard on himself. Uh, I think the Cowboys deserve credit for giving him that second chance. And they are really getting a reward for it now.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. He was homeless a year ago. And it's amazing to think what he could have been if he had played continuously because he's right where he was. 2011, 2012, averaging more than one sack per game, four sacks in three games, and he affected that game throughout. He was always around the football. Uh, impressive comeback by him, and hopefully he keeps it up. Shereen, who do you have?
3: Well, Patrick Mahomes may be even more mad now, but you got to give some love to that Chiefs defense. We want to talk about all those offensive weapons that the Chiefs had and their quarterback and everything else but Chris Jones and that defense was outstanding and I'm giving it to Chris Jones five tackles two sacks two forced fumbles uh, the team had four total sacks of Lamar uh, Jackson and held them to 228 total yards I just thought it was an outstanding performance by that Chiefs defense I didn't see that coming at all I think everyone thought this was going to be a high scoring game by both teams and it wasn't
2: Yeah, and and he had that one moment where he got flagged for illegal hands to the face, and he popped the guy's helmet off, and then the the, the head covering, he ripped that off, too, in the same motion. That takes some dexterity to pull that off. So, uh, Chris Jones, uh, money well spent by the Kansas City Chiefs to keep him around. All right, look, I, I... I was going to go Aaron Donald, but he'd be the defensive player of the week every week. We praised him earlier in the program. I, I want to give some love to the Cleveland Browns. They're 2-1, and, and and even though the stat sheet doesn't scream this out, Carl Joseph is a guy you have to watch out for in the Browns' secondary. He had an interception that really helped swing momentum in Cleveland's way. And also, uh, I I I think that uh, you know he had one of the hits of the week. He blew a guy up along the sidelines. So let's give the Browns a little love. I'll give it to Carl Joseph this week. All right, let's move on to rookie of the week. Uh, MDS, who do you have?
1: I have Justin Jefferson, the Vikings wide receiver who. Looked like a real bright spot. Now, the Vikings offense has been a mess for most of this season so far. Certainly the first two games, it started to come on here in week three. The Vikings still lost, but we started to see what they can do. And Justin Jefferson was huge. He had 175 receiving yards. If Minnesota is going to turn this offense around and turn this season around, I think he might be the key to it. Trading away Stefan Diggs so far is not looking like a great decision, but if Justin Jefferson can keep playing like that, maybe we can start to say, okay, that wasn't a bad decision because they found the right guy to replace him.
2: Yeah, now, now he's got a guy you got to account for, and maybe it helps open up the rest of that passing game. The first couple of weeks, they didn't have that guy that was attracting the extra attention, so that's a good choice by you. Shereen, who do you have?
3: Well, I'm going to go with Gabriel Davis. And if you don't know who Gabriel Davis is, you didn't watch that Bills-Rams game. He's a fourth-round draft pick for the Bills. He had four catches for 81 yards, and they all came after John Brown went out. He had to come in and play. And the biggest play of the game was not a catch. It was that DPI in the end zone on fourth down that gave the Bills new life, and they scored the winning touchdown on the play after that. But a huge game by Gabriel Davis. Just made one outstanding catch over the shoulder on the sideline. Got both feet down. He just looked really, really good. I think he's going to be a steal of this draft.
2: And I first noticed him last week when he made an incredible diving catch in the end zone in the loss, or the win, excuse me, over the uh, Miami Dolphins. And yeah, you throw him into the mix with Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, and John Brown. You got a hell of a receiving core in Buffalo. For me, it's James Robinson. Even though his rushing numbers for the Jaguars on Thursday night were not tremendous, You know, it was a game where it felt like the entire Jaguars team was in quicksand except for him. He had 46 rushing yards and a couple of touchdowns, plus six catches on six targets for 83 yards. He was their offense without DJ Shark, and he was the spark that was there all night long. And if the other 10 players on offense played like him all night long, they would have won that game. This guy was undrafted out of Illinois State, proving yet again you don't need to use a first-round pick or a second-round pick or any round pick on a running back. If you can scout well and find a guy who can come in, you trust him not to fumble, you trust him in pass protection when blitzers break through and if you can open some holes for him he's going to gain some yards and James Robinson getting it done all right coach of the week MDS who do you have
1: I have Matt Nagy, and in hindsight, maybe benching Mitch Trubisky for Nick Foles looks like an easy call, but the reality is, it's never easy to make that decision with all the resources that the Bears have poured into Mitch Trubisky, the draft pick, the trade up to number two, the time and energy Matt Nagy has put into building Mitch Trubisky into the quarterback for his system. But he decided at the right time I've seen enough, and it's time to make a change. And he did it in time to come back and win Sunday's game against the Falcons. And now the Bears are 3-0, and and there's a lot of optimism in Chicago for where this team can go. Shereen, who do you have?
3: I have Sean McDermott. I mean, this game could have gone one of two ways after they lost that 25-point lead. It didn't. This was huge, and I think it's going to be a a point we're going to look back on this season and say this was really a turning point for the Bills. They figured out they're a really good football team.
2: And I'm going with Kyle Shanahan. 11 starters not available for Sunday's game against the Giants. They shredded the Giants the week before. They shredded the Jets, and I know that it's the Jets and the Giants, but... They haven't been relegated to the XFL yet. They are still full-fledged members of the NFL. And to go across the country, stay in West Virginia all week, go back to a a stadium where the players have misgivings about playing on the surface and to win as convincingly as they did with all those backups in the game, the ultimate next man up coach right now is Kyle Shanahan, a lot like Bill Belichick, so uh, he gets the award this week. One last point before we go. Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and Minnesota-Houston are off the board at the PointsBet Sportsbook. That's something that's subject to change. We'll be tracking that all week long to see if those games get in. Uh, PointsBet is, by the way, the official sports betting partner of NBC Sports. That's it. MDS. Thank you for your contribution in the awards for week three. Shireen. thank you as always. And thanks to all of you for checking out the program. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of PFTPM tomorrow morning, PFT live and around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great night.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up?